0: The convention says you need to be very agile and you need to have a very narrow MVP, and for us we kind of went the other way around. So we're building this programming language and we're also building the standard library of the programming language. It's an abstraction over the main cloud services, so it's a very big surface area.
1: It's starting to become usable, which is very exciting, right? Like it's a year in we're starting to be able to actually build real things with wing that do stuff so i feel like it's a very classic mvp exercise but it's just that the baseline is pretty high i'm elad ben israel i'm shai bell and we're the creators of winglang and founders of monada
2: this is code story a podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries six months of moonlighting it was
1: nothing on the backhand.
2: Who share what it takes to change an industry.
0: I don't exactly know Just what to do next. took many
1: goes to get
2: right. Who built the teams that have their back. The
1: company is its people. The teams help each other achieve. I was proud of our team.
2: Keeping scalability top of mind. All that infrastructure was a Yes, pain. we've been fighting it as we grew. Total waste of time. The stories you don't read in the headlines. It's not an easy thing to achieve, my dear. Took dude. off the shelf and dusted it off and tried it again. To ride the ups and downs of the startup life. We
0: need to really want it, not just about technology.
2: All this and more on Code Story. I'm your host, Noel Labpart, and today, how Shai Bear and Ilad ben Israel built a cloud oriented programming language that elevates the dev experience and minimizes complexity. This episode is supported by Turso. Turso is the open source edge database from the creators of LibSQL. If you put your edge computing close to your users? You should put your data there too. Turso makes this easy, utilizing the developer experience of SQLite. Access a free starter plan at turso.tech/codestory. Turso, welcome to the data edge. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Memberstack. Memberstack is the fastest way for you to launch a beautiful webflow MVP with robust authentication and smooth payments integration. Join companies like Slack and American Airlines in serving millions of members every single day. Get started for free by visiting memberstack.com codestory code story. Bear is 40 years old, living in Tel Aviv. He loves to travel, hike, and eat new kinds of food. He also loves to swim at the beach often, but he admits tech consumes a large amount of his life, and he likes it that way. Elad bin Israel is also from Tel Aviv and is 43 years old, and he jokingly claims that he is the responsible adult in the company. Outside of tech, he enjoys attending Burning Man and making sure he gets his workout in. About a year ago, Shai and Elad started a company to make using the cloud easier. As they went about thinking how best to do this, they struck gold in the thought of creating an expressive programming language. This is the creation story of Manada and Wingling.
1: Monada is a company we founded together about a year ago. The purpose of the company was to democratize the cloud for developers, make it easier for developers to use the cloud as a a programming paradigm, as a computing paradigm. Both of us have experience building applications and services in the cloud. We met at Microsoft about 15 years ago and spent some time working together there. And since then, we kind of split paths for a few years. I went to Amazon and then AWS. And during that time, Shai managed to start a company, sell it, become an investor for a few years, build another R&D team in another company. A year ago, our paths crossed again, and we talked about cloud development and how hard it is, and why is it so hard? Why is it so painful? And both of us have had very different experiences in different places, but shared a lot of the observations about the pain. And so we decided we wanted to do something about it. And we started the company and started to analyze, you know, where is this pain coming from? and eventually realized that the challenge is that developers don't really have the right tools to express cloud systems. They have tons of tools that they need to use in order to define each part of the the service, and eventually they end up having to glue together dozens of different parts in order to build an entire system. That's a very, very exhausting and disempowering process to most developers and really wanted to solve that. We realized that the right way to solve that is to design a programming language for this new computing paradigm, which is
0: called Wingling. Winglang is Elad's uh, brainchild. He was working at Amazon at the search team. He got to experience uh, building really big cloud applications at scale and they created this uh, internal tool to help them express infrastructure using code tools because code allows you to, to do composition much, much better than YAML files and other solutions that existed back then, it became the AWS CDK. Now you can write your infrastructure in code and you can write your runtime code in code, but. The two are very disconnected, so you still need to stitch everything together. You need to, to add Ion policies to allow the services to perform actions on each other, and you need to know how to generate the network topologies. If you want, as a single developer, to develop entire cloud systems, you need to really understand a lot of the layers of the of the cloud. In most companies, what happens is that you have developers who are focused on the business logic, and then you have DevOps that are focused on, on the infrastructure part. The, of, the separation of concerns between DevOps and, and uh, developers becomes very, very blurred. Basically, that's where Wink comes in. Uh, it allows you to express your entire cloud system with one language and use cloud services as first-class citizens of the language. So you would use the cloud uh, storage or a bucket as you would use file system in a in a normal programming language, Wing abstracts the cloud. It treats the cloud as the as the computer it targets to basically do a lot of those manual tasks that uh, either DevOps or developers need to do in order to stitch the the cloud application. And it frees developers to to focus on their on their business logic, and it frees DevOps to focus on on actual policies and not like manually creating IAM policy to let a function access uh, a bucket, but now they can focus on policies and say, for instance, that if a bucket is accessible to the internet, then it needs to be, to be encrypted.
2: Let's dive into what you would consider the MVP, right? That first version of Winglang that, that you're building or, or built. Tell me about you know what sort of tools you use to bring it to life and how long it took you to create it.
0: We're building Winglang and, and it's a complex product. Usually the convention says you need to be very agile and you need to have a very narrow MVP. And for us, we kind of went the other way around. So we're building this uh, programming language and we're also building the standard library of the programming language, which basically means that it's an abstraction over the main cloud uh, services, so it's a very big surface area. And then we're building a local simulator that allows you to compile your cloud applications and be able to interact with them and debug them locally uh, with fast iteration cycles. And then if you have a simulator that you can compile your cloud applications to, you need a way to access that uh, simulator because you don't have the AWS console or the Google console. So we are also building a a GUI component that allows you to visualize your cloud application and interact with it and run tests on it. It was a challenge to, to kind of develop these three or four products together and make a coherent experience out of all of them and in less than a year like we're an open source project. So even internally within the team, it's just working as you would in an open source project. And and so we can onboard developers pretty uh, pretty quickly and easily. And we actually have one developer that we already hired out of the community. and, And basically things just remained as they were.
1: I think we are building an MVP. It's just that in order to provide an actual end-to-end experience, the surface area is pretty large. But every, in, in every part of the surface area, we're really trying to find the minimal set of things that are required, right? It's unique in the sense that the bar is pretty high in every part of those components, right? Like you need a compiler and you need an IDE extension and you need this visual tool to be able to see what the application is doing. And in my mind, this is the minimal thing that you need in order to actually use the system. And I think the other part is like, we're doing this as an open source project, like Shai was saying, and we are not still at the place where we think of as MVP, but we've already released it. And so we've actually released our alpha in November and it was like basically ready for the community. We feel we're ready to open up the project for other people to take a look at it, give us feedback, help shape the direction, contribute code. It's definitely not usable at any, in any way. It wasn't usable at all at that point. Today it's starting to get, become usable. So, which is very exciting, right? Like it's kind of like a year in, we're starting to be able to like actually build real things with the wing that uh, do stuff. So I feel like it's a very classic MVP. Exercise, but it's just that the baseline is pretty high.
2: This episode is encrypted by CypherStash. Data breaches are becoming a fact of life. Know why? One of the reasons is because developers lack the right tooling to get the job done, i.e., encryption at rest tools are complex and inadequate. The solution? Encryption in use with CypherStash. Cypherstash uses searchable encryption and use technology, providing continuous and universal protection for sensitive data. With Cipherstash, you can turn your existing database into a vault, utilizing zero-trust key management, SQL-native, and with no code. Though encryption is complicated, Cypherstash is easy to use. The tool fully supports SQL via a drop-in driver replacement, supporting the query types you know and love today. And did we mention it's Fast. For queries over 100 million records, you can expect additional overhead of less than one millisecond. It's a no-brainer. Get started by reviewing their docs or downloading sample projects in Rails or Node plus SQLize today. Visit cipherstashcom codestory and get started protecting your data. This episode is supported by Treble. This day and age, APIs are a fact of life. And as such, product and engineering teams need tooling that is lightweight, real-time, and data-rich to help them ship and maintain APIs faster. That's where Treble comes in. Treble is an all-in-one platform for the entire API lifecycle. The product offers world-class monitoring and observability, providing more than 40 data points for each request, enabling you to understand everything from performance to user behavior. Dashboards help connecting your entire team for lifecycle collaboration. Documentation is automatically generated, saving massive amounts of time for your development team with every new release. And setting up Treble? Super easy and fast. In three simple steps, you can be up and running with their platform. Their pricing is designed to support API teams of all sizes. So get started with Treble today and automate your API ops. Did I mention they have a free forever plan? Find out more by visiting treble.com codestory. That's T-R-B-L-L-E dot com slash Codestory. Okay, so let's stay with this past year, the version of the product you're, you're in. What I'm curious about, you know, is in building that and going through the MVP exercise, you got to make certain decisions and trade-offs around... How wide uh, do you include scope, this, where, where the stakes fall, right, on certain features? And you got to make some of those decisions, maybe around technical debt or approach or things like that. I'm curious about those, and I want you to dive into t- them for me and for my audience. And specifically, how did you cope with those decisions?
1: So you said did, but we are <laughs> every day. And I think like that's an ongoing process that needs to happen constantly in software development, right? Like it's not not the first stage. It's like always, you always have to make those decisions. We have this analogy that we use, is like with a gun to your head, would you release Wing for beta without this feature? Or if would you release Wing for beta if this bug wasn't fixed? Again, I know it's a bit controversial to use this type of mental analogy, but it's really helpful, at least for me, we need to to launch it and say this is ready you know guys go use it would I do that with this without this feature or without this bug fixed and we're constantly having this exercise even if we're like few months ahead and obviously this mental exercise is shifting as we progress and uh, as we get closer and closer to that launch date that we set out for ourselves but it's a really helpful uh, exercise to do.
0: Since uh, we're building a programming language, it needs to really, really, really work well. I mean, even even in beta, like it's not supposed to be perfect, but it needs to, to foster some trust. And I think for developers, trust comes from reading the code and, and seeing that the guys that are writing this code actually know what they're doing. Other projects that I've been involved in, we, we allowed ourselves to accumulate a lot more technical debt. And here, we kind of say, okay, every feature that we that we do publish and are publishing in beta needs to be more fully baked, and it's going to come at the expense of releasing less features. And we're, uh, we're fine with that.
2: Okay, let's switch over to team, and, and you mentioned hiring someone from the community. I'm always interested in open source projects, how it builds the community, and how it aids recruiting. Tell me about how you built your team. How are you building your team or how are you going to build your team? And specifically, what I'm curious about is what do you look for in those people to indicate that they're the winning horses to join you?
1: Previous project I worked on, as Shai said, was the AWS CDK, one of the biggest open source projects uh, by AWS. It started very slowly, organically, grew from a couple of people inside AWS and slowly kind of evolved into a pretty big community of contributors. And I had a really, really great experience doing that. And I feel like, you know, hiring folks that you worked with in open source projects is the easiest and most certain way to hire someone. As developers, we develop these intuitions. You know, over time, you develop these intuitions about contributors you can see how they interact with you like in the real world right like you're, they're actually like interacting on issues submitting pull requests and so you can see their code style you can see how they react to feedback all of that stuff is just like inherent to working with contributors in open source projects and so when I started the company with Shai, I just reached out to a bunch of people that I knew from open source projects that I worked on, like the AWS CDK, Progen is another open source project that I uh, created. And there were a couple of people that I just knew that I'm gonna wanna work with in the future. And so I reached out to them and they were really excited about coming to work uh, with me and coming to work on Wing. And, and so actually I think like three of the people in our team are, are coming from, that, from these open source projects, from previous open source projects. The fourth person that we have that came from uh, open source projects was someone that we met as part of Wing already, right? Like, so we, we launched the Alpha, we started seeing this guy coming over and we actually had him on our radar before because he was tangentially involved in some of the AWS open source projects, but I didn't know him personally. And so he immediately started contributing and immediately we saw he's like exactly the kind of engineer we want to work with. And then we met him at uh, reInvent. You know, he was there for, for the conference and we were there and we kind of hang out, a few, uh, you know, for for some time. And it was like, okay, it's perfect, perfect match. It's like so easy, right? Like you don't have to interview. You don't have to like spend too much time like unpacking their, their style because you already been working with them.
2: This episode is supported by Terso. Terso is the open source edge database from the creators of LibSQL, the popular fork of SQLite. If you put your edge computing close to your users, like with Netlify or Vasell Edge Functions or Cloudflare workers, you should put your data there too in order to maximize performance gains at the edge. Terso makes it easy. With a developer experience of SQLite in a distributed database, you can replicate much closer to your users than traditional database offerings in the cloud. Terso is lightweight, easy to use, and free to get started. The team at Terso is offering a generous starter plan specifically for Code Story listeners. Head over to terso.tech slash Codestory and get started today. That's T-U-R-S-O dot tech Codestory. Terso, welcome to the Data Edge. This episode was automatically optimized by Cast. If you run cloud-native software on AWS, Google Cloud, or Azure, you know how out of hand the bill can get. This uncertainty hurts your business, but you can solve it with Cast AI. Cast AI automates cloud cost, performance and security management for hundreds of companies of all sizes. The platform's customers begin saving immediately and cut an average of over 60%. So before you go and sign a multi-year contract with a cloud provider or lay people off, check out what Cast AI can do for you. To get you saving even faster, Cast.ai is offering a free cloud cost audit with a personal consultation. Visit cast.ai slash codestory to get started. This will be interesting. you know. Given the, the space that you're playing in with, with Wingling, tell me where scalability factors in here. Um, did you build this to scale efficiently from day one in any sort of, of way, or are you fighting this as you grow in any capacity?
1: We're building a general purpose programming language, which is a very interesting challenge. But one of the core principles of building something like that is to make sure that it's extensible at every level and open at every level and so for example the programming model that we use in wing to define cloud resources is completely open and everybody can create their own third-party uh, resources and publish them as libraries which is you know it's all, it's sta- obviously sta- table stakes for uh, programming languages but it requires the architecture of the system to be open and extensible from day one like we're not designing it for a specific use case we're designing it to be a platform to pl- to become an ecosystem of libraries of resources of uh, capabilities that people can pick and choose and, and you know build their cloud applications and so in a way there is no cloud service platform or application that you won't be able to build with Wing, which is a very bold statement, right? But it's true, right? Like the the, the way we've designed it with the extensibility in mind across every layer, there are no barriers, right? Like you should be able to actually do whatever you want to build any system you want with this uh, programming stack. Obviously we're not there yet, but that's, that's the design principle that we that we use in order to create the architecture.
0: From the team's perspective, it's scalable because it's an open source project and because we have contributors and and we're increasing the circle of contributors. And I think we already have a few people who are contributing to the project that We'd be happy to, to work with full-time in the future. And, and so I envision the growth of the team coming mainly from organic growth, which is the dream of any r and manager is basically to, to be able to hire people that you are already working with and you know exactly what you're gonna get. So in, in that regard, I think the team is gonna be very scalable.
2: So as you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've built so far, what are you most proud of?
1: For me it's the team i feel like when when you start a company i think the biggest and most important asset is creating a team that can sustain it for the long run with the right values with the right culture with the right energy uh, with the right skill set i feel like it's such a almost such a miracle you know when when these things fall into place a year in i feel like we have the right team to build this which is not trivial at all especially given this complexity and ambitiousness the ambition of the project and moreover like i feel like i love truly love everyone right and it's truly amazing to hang out with with the team and it's really fun to you know to go to a holiday and, and come back and see all the activity and everything that's happening and the positive and passionate conversations between everyone and the goodwill across the board and kindness so i feel like this to me is is the is the core because eventually Everything else is, is, you know, is software. It's just going to change and shift and evolve and grow. And I feel like if we have the the right core of the team, which is, by the way, the the core of the open source community as well, right? Like if the core of the team has the right values, it has the right energy in it, then the community that's going to form around it is also going to have the right values and energy. This is... The biggest accomplishment, and you know, it's a good reflection of Shayan and I's values and philosophy on how to build things. And so, I'm super proud of that.
0: We're also proud of, of how much we've accomplished uh, technically in the in the past year. We've been able to really build this big MVP that includes the programming language and, and the standard library that abstracts the cloud and the local simulator and the dev console. It's a lot to, to build in less than, than a year with a pretty small team. Sometimes it feels like we're taking it for granted that we managed to build all of this. Like uh, when we told people that's that we're planning to build all of this in in that short time. I think most people were very skeptic that that we'll pull it off. I think we're kind of taking it for granted sometimes because most of us, are uh, coming from an engineering background and we're strong engineers and we, we, we've come to, to this uh, company with all of the lessons that we've learned. But when we look at other aspects of, of the company that are not engineering, th- then we see that uh, things can get wrong and like how much it's not to be taken for granted that, that uh, you just planned something and, and a year later, you're at, at uh, the spot that you want it to be.
2: Okay, let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it.
0: When we just started, we had a closed alpha. We had our reasons to, to close it, but right from day one, we weren't sure that we want to close it. Like th- there were some thoughts about, let's just open it, it's an open source project. What's the worst thing that uh, that can happen? But eventually we decided to make it a closed alpha and, and have a, a homepage where uh, developers can sign up for access and then we can give them access. It kind of worked well for us, but I think that we could have gained much more from that phase of the project if it had been uh, open from day one. Like we've had quite a bit of traffic coming from our echo chamber and also someone posted about us in on Hacker, Hacker News and, and uh, we were on the top for, uh, for a few hours. And so we had a lot of traffic coming in but most of those people did not like really experience what this project was all about, and just a small fraction of those signed up to get notified or to get access. Only then they were able to access our GitHub repo and see what we were doing. And so I think it was a bit of a missed opportunity to, to get more feedback and more people involved with the project.
1: One of the things that I'm, I keep learning is that as a startup, you can really focus on one task like you really can't afford to think about the future too much it sounds obvious i feel but i'll give you an example right like as as we as we started the company we were talking to this amazing guy that we really really like and he was like this expert in web technologies and he's really good at like figuring out how to make things run in your browser and okay, well, eventually we'll probably want uh, Wing to run in the browser for the play- playground and make sure that people can a- create like these preview environments ad hoc where they want, right? Like we had this like crazy ideas and then we hired him and started working with him. And he was gu- he was great. And from a cultural perspective, he was like the perfect match for the team. But eventually, we realized that his skill set, which was the reason we eventually wanted to bring him over, is something that we might need, but probably in like five years. When you're a startup, you just have to really focus on one thing, and I think we, we're constantly learning this lesson, asking ourselves, "Are we doing this? Is this the right focus?" Our uh, chief product officer, Yal, I feel like his job is always to be our uh, reality check. Is like, is this really, really? helping us deliver the beta right now? Or, or are we just doing this because it's cool or it's relevant for like a year in, in? Or like, it's always this really, really hard thing to do.
2: Let's switch to you both individually. Who influences the way that you work? You name a person or many persons or something you look up to and why?
1: I, I, have, to, I have to say, you know, maybe it's cliche, but I've, I did learn a lot at Amazon. I feel like I've taken a lot of the philosophy of, you know, how Amazon operates from a customer obsessed perspective and thinking about everything that we're doing from the point of view of the customer is something that, uh, that Amazon taught me a lot. And I feel like, you know, Jeff Bezos' philosophy is really strong. And I feel the other part that's also coming from Amazon is um, this ownership model and decentralized decision-making model where you really want to make sure that you're empowering people to be owners and to be able to have a feeling that, you know, their part of the project is their baby in a sense. And it's not easy, especially in a small startup, especially with a, such an opinionated CEO. But I'm, I'm constantly reminding myself how important it is. And, and, and I feel like I've learned a lot at Amazon and, on how to do that at large scale. Can't wait for us to like grow and for us to be able to actually apply some of those at large scale. But even at small scale, it's really, it's really important.
0: I kind of had the the opposite experience because, uh, apart from a few years in Microsoft at the beginning of of my career, I've been in startups all along. It taught me to kind of be a cockroach. I don't think there's any one single person I can say that that has made like a very big influence, but I think just the. the experience of, of being in, in startups for so long and without a lot of resources and having to deliver against the odds, like against um, uh, well-funded uh, competition, it taught me to, to kind of be very, very practical and just uh, do whatever works in order to, to get to the goal. I think recently I've taken uh, upon myself to do marketing for, uh, for the project. Because we're all engineers, and, and <laughs> someone had to to do some marketing. I find myself imitating the CMO in my previous company, and uh, I, I knew she was very, very good at what she was doing. Apparently, I kind of absorbed her work methods and, and philosophy. Because right now, whenever I do something and I look back at it, I was like, I'm like, oh yeah, that's exactly what Aina probably would have uh, would have done.
2: Fellas, last question. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it, they can't wait to show it off to the world and can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person having gone down this road a bit?
0: I think it really depends on on, on what they're working on and, and who they are and what their strengths are and and uh, who's with them on on the team. I, I really don't think there are any cookie cutter solutions to, to anything but I guess in, in a lot of times I would focus on their co-founders, their team. It's kind of uh, a cliche, but I, I, I really do think that's the most important part, like having core team that's the right team, like not settle for for mediocracy, not settle for someone who's uh, kind of good, but just really make sure that you're working with, uh, with the best. And obviously you can do that as the company grows and grows, but for the starting core team, that to me, I think the main lesson that uh, that I've learned over the years that is true for whatever startup you're uh, you're building.
1: Similar to what I was saying, but from a different angle, just work with people you love. Life's too short to work with assholes. And when you're when you're a founder, working is not just the people in your company and your team; is also the investors that you work with, advisors. And so, if even if you find this this amazing investor that you've heard about. And, you know, he wants to put all that money in your company. Is like, if you don't, if you feel he's not a good person, if you feel like he's not a person that will be, that, that there's a good chemistry, there's a good value connection, you don't want to surround yourself with people like that. You just want to make sure that you have a good environment where, with kind people that are supportive and that they want the best for you and for the company. And it's it sounds almost obvious, but I feel like, one of the things that I've learned is that this whole industry, startup industry is like, it's an industry. It's a huge, it's a huge ecosystem. And very similar to how, you know, when you're dating and you can't find, you know, your match and, and people will tell you, you know, there's there's someone for everyone. It's true for, uh, for startups and investors and advisors as well, right? Like you just need to keep looking and, and eventually you'll find the right people. But I feel like, especially if you're doing it for your first time, I feel like you need to develop these intuitions, and, and I feel like that's a that was a really great advice I got some at some point.
0: Another point is kind of to to pace yourself. I mean, uh, most startups depends. Like there are startups that, that manage to to succeed after two years, and, and we and, and we both know some people who've done it in, in two years and had a very successful exit. But but in, in most cases you need to pace yourself and, and you to to realize that uh, you're in it for the long run and and there's going to be bad times as well as good times and you need to to keep everything in perspective. Again, I guess it's like it's all cliches and and uh, you can read it everywhere. But somehow getting that message across to someone without them having to like to live through th- through this in order to learn it, that was that's another thing that I would uh, press upon it.
2: All great pieces of advice. Well, Elad Shai, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for telling the creation story of Monada and Wingling.
0: Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, man.
2: And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice.